Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, Fred Johnson brings his Nikon D3 to stand next to my Canon 1DS Mark III. Heather Champ is here from Flickr to talk about the exciting photo sharing service, and we answer four listener questions. All coming up on This Week in Photography, number 27. Welcome to This Week in Photography, another exciting week. Hi, I'm your host, Scott Bourne, and my co-host, Alex Lindsay, is not available today. He's scouring the planet somewhere on the East Coast, but I'll try to make do without him. I do, however, have the very apt assistance of many of our traditional special guests. Uh, coming in from Hermosa Beach is digital effects wizard and photography guy and techie guy and all that kind of stuff, Ron Brinkman. How you doing, Ron? Hey, everybody. I had to say hi, the Alex way. Thank you. Now Alex feels vindicated. Uh, All the way from the other side of the country, well-known photojournalist and photo specialist in anything photo documentary is Steve Simon from New York. Hi, Steve. Hey, guys. Uh, Great to be back as usual. Excited to hear that you got gigs uh, photographing both the Republican and the Democratic National Conventions. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, I, I had so much fun in 2004 covering the Republican convention, and uh, Dirk Halstead at the digitaljournalist.org uh, gave me the assignment to photograph uh, both the both upcoming conventions. So should be uh, fun and exciting, I'm guessing. Fun and exciting, you're guessing. Well, <laughs> both, both. We are definitely looking for some stories from those. That'll be great. Yeah, I, I would want to hear your backstory, all, Steve. I'll have all the inside scoops. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And uh, we have a special guest joining us a little bit later. Have you all heard of this photo-related site? It's called Flickr. Yeah, I oh, think yeah. I heard something along those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. The kids are into it, yeah? Yeah, the kids are into it. Anyway, we have Heather Champ from <laughs> Flickr as our special guest today, and we're going to get some some of the down low on, on what's going on over there at Flickr. Also joining us in just a moment... Um, because he's on San Jose Standard Time, he's a little late as usual, we will have our, our good buddy Fred. Fred will be coming into the studio here at Pedango any, any minute, I predict. And, something, uh, something else happened with his car? Who knows. Um, let's, have I missed anybody? Does that get everybody? I guess I got everybody. Um, let's get started with a little bit of housekeeping. Just want to say we do have the link contest going on. So if you'd like a chance to win a Drobo, that's right, a Drobo. Just link to us. And we have a brand new contest page on the top nav bar that will give you all the details. A link from your blog or your website makes you eligible in general. Read the link for all the rules. Also want to let you know that I'll be speaking at Mac Day LA on May 31st. It's a week from this coming Saturday. I'll be a, a giving a little talk on photography, going over my digital workflow, doing some Q&A stuff. It's only 15 bucks to get in, and they have a whole day full of speakers. It should be a lot of fun, so check that, check that out if you get a chance. Uh, you going to be anywhere this week, Ron or Steve? No, well, I'm going to be uh, on it. Sorry, I'm going to be on a plane, uh, a plane to Europe. So once again, you're going to be going into a city where I'll be leaving. Okay. 
I want to be watching. I want to be watching you, Scott, at Mac Day for fifteen bucks to have Scott born for like eight hours. That is a deal. Well, no, they're not getting me for eight hours for fifteen bucks, but I'll be speaking for one hour. <laughs> oh, one hour. Yeah, one, what, one hour. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to. I'm just like say just digital photography in general that as it applies to the Mac. And, uh, okay, so it's it's not such a good deal anymore. All right. Okay. Well, there's a bunch of other speakers. I do want to <laughs> let everybody know that Fred Johnson is in the house, and he set his cute little D3 next to my 1DS Mark III, and all cute little 12 megapixels are sitting there trying to kind of puff their chest up and pretend right. that they're 21 <laughs> megapixels, and uh, it goes. They're they're not quite there yet, Fred. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, Akeem. Can we bring up three? Um. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's not. More is more, Scott, in these days. It's less is more. Okay. <laughs> well put. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, I, do, I more, gonna, I, do more with less. Just, size doesn't matter. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Fred, you just need to turn the lights down a little bit. And- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome hey, to the hey, show. Have we, have we done the test yet for uh, you know what shooting at 21 megapixels and downsampling to, uh, to 12? No, we might like. do that today. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? Both of these flagships sitting right in front of us. Yeah, we, we have got, to do we, something. We got, we got about what? Well, we got like eight and five. We got 13 grand worth of camera bodies and uh, another three or four grand in glass right here on the table. So who knows? The world is waiting uh, for the results. We, we'll see what we can do. Let's get to the news real quick. Nikon is going to be again shipping their new cool picks 952 C And boy, I love those model numbers. Or is that S52C? That's the S52C. Sorry. Uh, with T-Mobile Wi-Fi access built in. Now, I usually don't take time to announce each and every single point-and-shoot that's shipped because if I did, this would be this month in photography, and all we'd do is talk for two hours about it. But the fact that this has the T-Mobile Wi-Fi access built in, along with a 3-inch LCD, which I found to be interesting on, on a camera like this, and 9-megapixel resolution, it's a, it looks like a pretty serious camera, so I'm... I'd love for Nikon to send us one so we could test it. Hint, hint, Bill Pakula. Um, also want to mention that um, there is more evidence that the famed replacement to the EOS 5D is somewhere in the wind. How do we know? Because several listeners, like 20, sent me a link from Amazon to a book called the Canon EOS 5D Mark II Digital Field Guy, shipping, shipping in November. So we hope that doesn't mean the camera isn't shipping till November, but uh, we now have a couple of different pieces of evidence that say Mark, Mark II, the 5D Mark II is the name, not the 7D as originally floated, and that the camera's coming probably sometime between now and November. Um, we continue to stand by on the 5D Mark II watch to see what happens. Also want to mention the that... The uh, photo show is Photokina this year, right? Yeah, uh, Photokina. In September. Could be it could be Photokina. That's right. Odd, every every two years. Um, also, want to mention that uh, if you don't think photographers are a dedicated bunch, then all you need to do is check out the story. We'll have linked in our show notes where a photographer was speared by a javelin <laughs> in Utah. That's in right. Utah. That, that picture was very hard to look at. I saw that. And, uh, but we, no, if you're a photographer, what else are you going to do in that situation? But take your own picture. If that, you that's all you can do. But I did hear a rumor that it was a Nikon owner that threw the javelin at a Canon owner because he was jealous of the 21 megapixels <laughs> in the 1DS Mark III line. Not going to take getting, the bait. Not going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> also want to say that uh, May 15th, the 
50th anniversary. Is this is that right, Steve? You're on this story. The 50th yeah, anniversary of Robert yeah. Frank's The Americans? Arguably one of the most influential photography books ever published. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I suspect you have. It's a beautiful, powerful book. And uh, a 50th anniversary edition is coming out. Um, it's going to be uh, true to its uh, original uh, when it first came out in 1959. Uh, and if anyone has a copy of the original Les Américains, because it wasn't published in, the, in America, it was published in France, it sells for anywhere between three and $5,000. So check your, check your bookshelf. Um, and this book uh, was supervised by, by Mr. Frank uh, eight, from 83 original uh, photographs. And, and, you know, just so you know, if you look at this book, it really is uh, a marvel. A lot of people talk about this book in terms of sequencing. And Robert Frank spent two years photographing for this on Guggenheim Grants. He photographed, he probably had about 28,000 images to choose from, and he chose 83. And the, the sequencing is really quite phenomenal and very much uh, directed. And uh, I can't wait to, to see this, this new issue. Well, also, there's some sad news today, Steve. Um, uh, I, I don't know if our audience will be familiar with the International Center of Photography or the Fund for Concerned Photography. I know that you are. And uh, do, you, do you want to share the news with us? Yeah, it's uh, some sad news. Uh, Cornell Kappa passed away uh, this morning. And Cornell Kappa, you know, was the, the kid brother of Robert Kappa, the great war photographer who, who was killed uh, in 1954. But he was much more than that. Uh, on his own, he, I think he was, he was an amazing photographer. He did a lot of uh, great work, including um, a book on uh, the, the Kennedy uh, uh, presidential race, I believe it was. Uh, but his legacy, I think, will be the International Center of Photography in New York, which he founded in 1974 uh, to support concerned photography. And that is um, you know, documentary photojournalistic work that... Uh, he believed could make a difference, and, and he's made a huge difference. Uh, since that time, there have been about 450 e exhibitions uh, with more than 2,500 photographers, and the school uh, is, is an amazing place, and it continues today and will continue hopefully forever. But uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a sad day. To, to another, another giant in photography um, has passed away. Well, we want to note that here on This Week in Photography. But... We do need to continue on, and hopefully we'll, we'll come up with something that will uh, honor that memory by contributing to other photographers' ability to produce great images. And one step towards doing that is making sure that you look at lots of photos. And every week, we provide you with a site of the week that we think as a photographer you might want to check out because it'll help guide you in that quest. And this week's site is World Press Photo, the award interviews. It's uh, very interesting because it's the story behind these photographs. There's video, there's audio. Um, Steve, you're probably also familiar with World Press Photo, I would assume. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've uh, been following it for years. I've entered. I've, I've never won. And people were asking about a contest and, and how do you sort of uh, put your, yourself uh, at the forefront to, to get the judge's attention. And last year, for instance, um, judges looked at 78,000 images. 78,000 images, guys. And, and in a matter of just, you know, they flash on the screen. So <laughs> unless you're able to capture someone's attention... Um, and, and we have a tough time uh, judging our 
contest because there's so much good work. So in the end, it's it's not really about who wins. It's it's there's just so much good work, and it could really be a, a variety of of different things. But but the World Press, if you look at the site, you'll see some of the the big world events that not necessarily have been well covered by the mainstream media because uh, a lot of stuff that happens in the world uh, it just doesn't get published and and uh, so it's a good way to sort of get a, a, a gauge on, on what's, what's, hap- what's transgressed in the past year. You know, speaking of uh, some, of the, some of the stories that are out there, we, we probably should have mentioned the, some of the stuff coming out of uh, China. There was uh, one in particular that I saw, and we, I, I don't have the link handy, but we'll dig it up and put it in the show notes, is uh, there was a wedding photographer that was shooting just as the earthquake hit. And there's just some amazing stuff, you know, just just really, you know, bizarre juxtapositions of a, of a wedding party, you know, the bride standing in front of a pile of rubble. And even, I mean, literally as the earthquake hit, uh, he was shooting. So there's shots of debris and, you know, chunks of masonry falling out of the sky. Uh, it's it's pretty striking stuff. So, you, you know, you guys should Google it. And then, like I said, we'll track track down some links for the show notes as well. Wow. also want to talk about our poll. And uh, Fred, I want to get you in on this because I, I, I know that uh, you've earned a dollar or two as a photographer. The poll was, do you scri- describe yourself as a professional or an amateur? And uh, roughly uh, 19% of our audience say they've made some money mm-hmm. as a photographer. What's your reaction to that? Um, I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, we, we've, at the company I work at, we've done some studies on, you know, sort of the differences between pros and amateurs and, and how do you define it? That line is really weird of where, where it sits. You know, how do you, half the people that, you know, that say that they're a pro might, might, uh, not necessarily be making the, the bulk of their income or, you know, like we say, feeding their kids from photography. Uh, but, you know, you contrast that with, say, a country like uh, Japan. I mean, we've done studies in Japan as well. And Japanese people, by and large, or the Japanese photographers, by and large, are very hesitant to categorize themselves as pros, even if they're making more than 50% of their money as pros, because they believe, you know, if I say I'm a pro, that means I'm going to have to act like one. So it's, it's, really, it's yeah. really interesting, the, the cut between different countries and, you know, within the different countries, the different, uh, you know, perceptions of what pro is. I was surprised that that many people said they'd earn money, because it's awful hard to earn money these days. Um, mm-hmm. Our new poll's already up, and we're going to do a poll a week now because you all have expressed interest in it, and it's real simple. Two answers possible, yes or no. Have you ever paid money to attend a photo workshop? So go ahead and go up to the poll, which is located at twitphoto.com, twitphoto.com. The blog is the place to find that, and you'll also find a link to this current Flickr challenge. Now, this is appropriate. We mentioned this right before we bring our guest on. Um... I don't know if Heather even knows this, but we have three different forums that we run over at Flickr. They're very well populated. We have more than 4,500 members of our basic Flickr discussion group, uh, almost 2,000 in the critique forum, and better than 1,000 in the challenge pool. And we asked during our last challenge for folks to take pictures of doors. And the winner, uh, interestingly enough, uh, two of two of our staff picked the same picture which almost never happens but uh, steve and i picked blue door by dennis oh did you i didn't know yeah well it was probably beyond so. the second one you offered me ron because i, no, I just no, didn't I think that was the first one i sent oh. you okay well that three yeah, of it, was, us it was it was probably it was you know if i had, had to pick one it was the one i would have picked 
it's an amazing photograph. It's really great. It's got tremendous color. Um, I, I just, I don't. You see it, you'll know why we picked it. That's all I can tell you. And there are, as usual, a plethora of prizes going out to this week's winner. Uh, software and books. I, I'm starting to lose track of what we're giving away because the prize pool tends to grow by the minute. But uh, if you are Danish and you send us an email with your contact information and can prove that you're Danish, we'll go ahead and send you your prizes. Runner-up was Doors by Marcus Bain. I believe that photograph is taken on a Japanese subway train it's very I love that photo guys mm-hmm. i really i really like it yeah it, nice. it, it was a tough it was a tough pick our new challenge is up and it's really simple i'm not giving you any hints as usual i'm just giving you a topic it's adventure you have two weeks to take a photograph that tells us your version of what adventure is put it up there and at the very least you'll win a book or two uh, I think what we have to give away uh, so far in this particular pool is last week uh, we had um, Rick Sol- S- Smolin on. I can't say his last name for some reason. Rick Smolin was on, and he offered to give a book uh, for this week's contest. And I'm going to throw in uh, my book, 88 Secrets to Photoshop for Photographers, and whoever else knows what will end up in the pool. Look at the blog to find out what the prizes are by the time you get, you get the picture. Who knows? We still might be able to get Brinkman to give us his car. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's going on there. So now let's talk more about Flickr with somebody that knows a lot more about it than I do, Heather Champ. Heather, thanks for joining us th- this week in photography. No, it's my great pleasure to be here. Can you tell us what your title is there? Um, my title is uh, Director of Community. Director of Community. That sounds very Web 2 or 3.0. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I, I joined uh, the team um, almost three years ago uh, as community manager. Uh, and then last year, when we launched internationally with seven additional languages, I now have a team of six community managers who help with the other languages, so I get to be Director of Community. Now, would your discussion groups fall under the title community my discussion groups. Uh, the, the, discuss- the, the discussion groups that are on Flickr would that be something that you have something to say about yeah so well it could, you know a lot of people ask what is a community manager so it's um, I like to think of myself sort of as mortar kind of between bricks and you know building that community one one aspect is is the team here the Flickr team itself here in the San Francisco um, and and our community so I, I sort of act as a conduit back and forth um, but I think why you know Flickr is a, a photo sharing site but sort of what differentiates us is all of our incredible groups like the three groups that you have where people really come together around their joy and love of photography. And um, I think that that really is the basis for, you know, what our community is. I have to say, our audience is extraordinarily engaged on Flickr. Um, Mm -hmm. It really surprised me. We were going to put up a conventional forum software link to our blog, but then I got to thinking, well, you know, it's a photo-related deal. Let's just use Flickr. they got a nice engine set up for this. And we have 4,500 people on one, like a total of about 7,000 photographers. We've never done any advertising. It's all been organic, and all this has happened in five months. It's kind of surprised me. Yeah. Well, it's it's a very passionate community. I think, you know, um, Flickr from the beginning was about um, photography, and I think so in having that very specific kind of niche, you know, we're not really a social networking site. We're really about... Um, about photography, so you have people who really share that common passion 
Um, and, you know, I, what I love about the groups are, you know, you've got groups where people come together around shows like yours. We have, um, you know, people who like to take certain kinds of photographs um, who get together to share those photographs. And then there are other groups that are really collaborative where the community is, you know, one of them is in numerical order. And what they're doing is taking pictures of numbers that they see. And you can only post the next you know, photo in the um, in in the sequence, and and if you don't, well, you know, whoa, bo- behold! But you know, it's kind of it's really interesting. So, people coming around, you know, the um, the collaborative idea of kind of building upon a, v- a very specific topic. So it's it's really you know, if there's if you have an interest or if there's something that that you like to do, um, chances are there there's at least one group. Um, where people are, are engaging in, in discussion uh, and collaboration around that topic. I should probably mention this so that Steve Simon can brag and smile and applaud. Uh, you're originally from Canada, yes? Yes, I am. Yeah. I, I grew up in Ottawa. Up. I, I just, you know, it's the aboot thing. <laughs> it's a boot photography. Um, Heather, I'm sure we're related because I'm Canadian too. <laughs> I grew up in Montreal, which is only a couple hours away. So, so you guys I, are to each other. I love Montreal. Yeah. I actually lived in Montreal for for a year and a half, um, and I I love Montreal because I love the bagels. Are you a bagel person? Like I don't want to oh. derail the conversation into the whole bagel thing, but uh, I can talk for hours about Montreal bagels. Because, oh. uh, Montreal invented the bagel, guys. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that, but uh, it's a pretty unique because they boil the dough and they use a wood burning brick oven. It's it's very complicated, but we won't go into it. Oh my gosh, you guys have ovens in Canada. <laughs> to keep warm, yeah. to keep they, they they don't melt the igloos. It's really quite stunning the way the technology has developed to, to cool. support the Scott cold trying to stuff. alienate an entire country. Yeah. <laughs> I already have Canada mad at me for some joke I made months ago, so I'm sticking with it. I might the Appalachians, well. the Canadians. No, wait a minute. That was Alex. Alex did that. Alex Alex is the guy who coined the phrase Appalachian Americans. I had nothing to do with it. Go ahead, Fred. Hey, uh, Heather, I had a quick question. Uh, I'm a big fan of Flickr, of course, and have been for a while. Um, video on Flickr and the, the unique approach that, that uh, Yahoo and Flickr is taking with respect to video and the smaller clips. Can you, mm-hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about how that's going and what the uptake is and, and how you're positioning that against the likes of YouTube? Um, so video is really interesting. Um, you know, when I first joined the team, I I was kind of like over my dead body. Oh, you know, we're we're about photos, photos alone. And um, you know, Stuart, you know, st- you know, when when Flickr first started, Stuart was really looking for a way to to share. You know, he he's, his kind of use case was how can I share what's going on in my life with my grandmother? And so video was like always on on like this long term roadmap, but to, to do it successfully and allow it to scale, we had to think really hard about it. But then in terms of you know what is video, um, I think that YouTube kind of casts a really long shadow over the idea of what is video online. And um, I don't want to cast aspersions, but you know when I go there, I just see a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily created by the people who are participating. And so. A few years ago, my, my husband gave me a, a, a little Sony CyberShot point-and-shoot that had video, and that was my first kind of engagement with with um, shooting video. And so I started making um, these little 10-second clips, and I was kind of thinking of, about them as kind of long photos. Mm-hmm. And so when we started thinking about what video would be on Flickr, I think, 
you know, what, what we, what we, in terms of photo sharing, you know, the first rule in the community, you know, the first line in the community guidelines is, you know, it's a site intended for you to share photos that you have taken, you know, with other people. And, and for us, that was going to be a key cornerstone of video. We don't want to see, you know, more Saturday Night Live clips or Jon Stewart or all of that. And so that was really key. But then looking at how would video complement what a photo is in terms of um, enabling people to kind of share more of a story around a photo. Mm-hmm. And, and to us, it was kind of encompassing that, you know, long photos and really kind of the authentic, you know, capturing the, uh, the authentic view of, of people. So, you know, putting, you know, a cap on it seemed to kind of make sense because I think it, it also, um, um, you know, I, I think what's really interesting about, you know, the development, let's say, of a photographer is how they develop their eye and come to terms with appreciating how editing, you know, what they share or, or what they're taking yeah. kind of hones it into really focusing, you know, this is important. You know, yeah. you, you see a lot of people who everything goes up online and then, you know, conversely, you've got people who like share, you know, maybe one picture a month or, you know, one a day, something like that. They're the, kind of the two ends of it. Yeah. And it, so video, by, by kind of putting a time cap on it, it kind of... It, 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 what we're trying to do is encourage people to really kind of think about what that story is. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, when we, we went into this conversation, well, yeah, it's 90 seconds. People are like, oh, 90 seconds. That, you know, that's never going to fly. And then they upload one. They see what people are doing. They're like, oh, now I get it. You know, I think it's it. And, and I have seen some incredibly powerful video um, that, you know, just in the, in the time since we've launched, um, um, of experiences that I would never have an opportunity to do. And yes, photos can have that same power. You know, they're just incredibly rich photos, but sometimes just having a little bit more time can really kind of change the story. Now, do you have any tips for photographers that are, that are wanting to post those long photos online? I mean, from my standpoint, it's sort of adding the time dimension to a, a, a normal photo. So, you know, the, the cases that I might take a portrait of someone, I'm going to actually consider the background or, you know, if I'm going to take a picture of, say, you know, some, some landscape or the Golden Gate Bridge, I'm going to want to put it on a tripod and, and sort of capture that motion of the moment. Any, any tips for folks that want to post Flickr-style videos? <clears throat> I can, I, well, you mentioned tripod, and I think that, for me, um, I suffer pretty easily from motion sickness and some of these videos are like whoa you know like it's just there's something about just you know smoothness and and um, um, th- like tripods are awesome <laughs> I think mm-hmm. you know because there's even things like little tiny ones now and uh, do you guys know the pod it's kind of like a little bean bag that has a tripod mount and yeah, those we're going to actually great. review that pretty soon yeah, it's. It, I have one. I I really like it, and it, it's great for a small point and shoot because you can just put it on, and it kind of gives it stability. And you can just kind of put it down anywhere. You know, things like the. Um, I always call it the gorilla pod that you can even yeah. you know put it around things. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just think it's like I whenever I shoot, you know, cameras, I'm always you know, you know, take the picture on the exhale and kind of you know just think about your breathing and try and minimize the movement because I think the more still or fluid the video is, the more engaging it is to watch. Um, you know, and, and I, even... Yeah, sorry? Oh, no, sorry. Uh, well, I was just going to... Go ahead, Kether, please. And so, well, the other thing is, you know, a lot of photographers are like, well, 
you know, I don't have any cameras and do it, but what, what we've seen are some incredible time lapse because a lot of the higher end, you know, Canons and Nikon's like the SLRs can you know people can you know can take a lot of photos and put those together into really beautiful time lapse of you know um, that are just really rich photos of, of you know how time changes and light moves and things like that. I just I wanted to add something. I don't know if you guys had seen this, but years ago I saw an Andy Warhol exhibition. Who he was always ahead of his time, and he basically had kind of a video camera mounted on a tripod and he would have these very stagnant situations like a kiss for example and when you look at the frame you don't you it looks like a still photo but then you realize it's actually a video and and there's a little bit of movement and and so we'd have these stationary images that were actually in video and Mm -hmm. in a sense it was this whole idea of the long photo i think is kind of revolutionary and watching some of the stuff that's being posted on on Flickr it really is kind of a, a new form and, and with this sort of move to mul- multimedia and with the technology that we have available to us now uh, there's no question I think that we're going to see a lot more really really amazing stuff uh, in, this, in this form of a, a long photo mm-hmm. I just, I just want to I mean I don't want to throw any water on this but I do note that there was, <laughs> there was quite a bit of blowback initially there were stop video well, on Flickr sites and, oh and, yeah and, petitions well we you know we have a really passionate community and i think uh change change overall is is difficult for people and um this isn't the first time you know we've we've heard from our members like i remember uh two or three years ago when at one point we moved the sets so the sets like when you go to your launch page like when you're first you know you you sign in and then you go to your photo stream you know, if you've got sets or collections of there on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. Those used to be on the left-hand side. And at one point, the you know, I think with the Gamma release, we moved that from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. And the hue and cry, like it was the end of the world. You just killed my that. baby! <laughs> no, it was just like, wow, that's that's really big. But, you know, I think what's what's interesting about, about video, so the, the conversation became, you know, like Flickr is about, you know, professional photography and we were all kind of like oh that's really interesting because that isn't where we came from and eric costello who um one of the original team members um wrote this really eloquent post kind of talking about you know where where we came from and we're kind of like it's like you know to paraphrase him and i may be you know making something up but it was more like you know we built the site and you're all welcome to come here, but that isn't what we were really intending. And, you know, the site is, is flexible and extensible enough that people can craft their own experience. So for you all to say, you know, we're all about professional photography and we shouldn't have video, that's kind of a little elitist. And, and you know, so, you know, as in overall, like how when we do launches i i we we're definitely listening but the kind of the the feedback that you'll get on any set i think within the 48 hours is more a reaction to the change rather than what's actually going on and then if you look over the long term like over a two week period you'll start getting feedback on the actual you know what the implementation is are there bugs that kind of stuff but but there i think there's this overall um, human nature to, to kind of like, oh my God, something's changed. Yeah, but then, yeah. you know, when people kind of really begin to see, like now, you know, we're, or that was what, April 8th, and it's now going to be, let's say, almost two months and a couple of weeks from now. Like, has, has the face of Flickr changed all that much? Like, has it been ruined? And, and 
I think for the most part, if you don't have contacts who are uploading video, um, you know, you may not even be aware that it's there on the site. So right. it's not like suddenly, you know, we ground, you know, to a halt and, you know, you know, we're pulling whiskers off kittens or something like that. We only have a couple of minutes left, Heather. So sure. I, I want to ask you, what is your personal favorite thing about Flickr? I just think the the breadth of um, what people are capturing. You know, I, I think so. If we if we look to the news, there's this daily, you know, communication that that around the world we're all so different and we're not, you know, like we're all coming from these different places and you know there are too many things that divide us. Um, but you know, last year we had a, a 24 hours of Flickr event on on May 5th where we asked people to take a picture and then we I we brought we made a blurb book that had 122 of those but we had I think seven over 7,000 pictures contributed and what was really interesting to me is we had pictures from all around the world but there were these you know common themes of similarity of what people were sharing and for me it was kind of it was so beautiful to see that you know so many people are telling us externally we're all different we're all different but really in what I see um, in, in you know, as I move through Flickr and kind of look and engage with photographs, we're really still all very human and kind of the same. And you know, we wake up and we do things, and we you know go to work or not go to work or go to school, but we're fundamentally you know all really the same. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's I kind understand. of just this. Yeah, I, if you look at a lot of pictures there, you get to see exactly what you just said becomes clear and I, I do look at a lot of pictures on Flickr because not only from the 7,000 people we're involved with on our show but from other groups so I can get ideas and I do see that um, I, I'd like for you to tell the audience where they might find you I know you have your own blog in addition to hanging out at Flickr do you want to share that information? Sure so well on Flickr I'm, I'm Heather so I'm photos slash Heather um, on, I have my own website that is uh, hchamp.com, H-C-H-A-M-P. Um, it's, uh, I haven't, I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, so I haven't had a, an, an opportunity to update. But um, it's, what, it's, it's more of what, it used to be more of a photo blog before I became so enamored with Flickr where I would um, post my, like my daily picture. And I, yeah, Heather, I want to want to just say I really like a lot of the uh, sort of collage mosaic kind of stuff that you do. You've got a lot of those how do you, on. how do you do that, Heather? How do you do, how do you make those? Uh, um, so I, I take a lot of pictures and then I uh, put them all together in Photoshop. So I'll um, depending upon which camera I shoot them with, I'll kind of reduce them down to a reasonable size, you know, like five hundred pixels, and then I'll start at a midpoint and and build them outward. So on different layers and kind of keep moving them around. Uh, until it kind of is, you know, reasonably, cor- you know, quote-unquote correct looking. Um, the ones I really like right now are, um, because I'm doing so much traveling, are like, this is what my hotel room looks like, uh, because it's uh, it's kind of just... That was one um, of my favorites. Yeah. Setting my I, I feet up those. in the same those way. Those are brilliant. Um, yeah. um, I like just, it when you just, had your pajamas on in one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, yeah, yeah, my cherry blossom chivet, you know, pajamas. But it's, you know, it, 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 it's kind of like this is my home away from home. And, and there's a nice um, hotel room too. You are not staying at the Motel Six like I. Am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, so I, I just last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was in um, Mexico City. We had a we had a, a Flickr event there, and I got to stay at the W. Um, Unfortunately, uh, traveling for work is completely spoiling me um, uh, because 
I, I don't stay in those kinds of hotels. Uh, I actually felt like a bit of an interloper. Like, they're going to find out that I really shouldn't be here at some point and ask me to leave. Because, you know, everybody's very hip and groovy. And I, I'm not a, a, I don't know if this is too much information. I'm not a girly girl. Like, if I have money, I'm going to buy a new camera. I'm not going to buy a new pair of shoes. We like and that so, about you, Heather. We like that about you. <laughs> and so, I'm you just kind of like, gene. oh... Yeah. Well, Heather's Heather's way. Heather's a real photographer, folks. She doesn't just work at Flickr. She she's got a long history in photography. Many of you may not know this. She is one of the co-founders of JPEG Magazine. She's been around. We're thrilled to have you on the show. I wish we had more time, but we have to keep to a reasonable schedule. So I'm going to well, thank, thank you, you so for much. your appearance and invite people to visit you at your website and on Flickr. Oh, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure talking to you guys, and um, I hope you all have a really great weekend. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Heather Champ from Flickr. And, of course, many of you visit Flickr. We'd like to invite those of you who have not yet signed up. And there are literally tens of thousands of you because we have a lot more listeners to the show and a lot more readers on the blog than we do members of our Flickr group. So don't be bashful. Run over there and show your pictures. It's not going to hurt anything. Um, you know, we you, you get help because, you know, I noticed Ron Brinkman was in there the other day helping some people. You You were making some comments, Ron pop in as often as I can manage to think about it. Yeah, yeah we, we all try to chip in and critique and help out. So get over there to the Flickr site and join our groups. You can get the links right off tripphoto.com. I do need to take a, just a moment to say thank you to Audible because uh, you wouldn't be listening to this show right now if it weren't for them. Audiblepodcast.com slash twip, T-W-I-P. That's audiblepodcast.com. Dot com slash twip is where you can go for your very own free downloadable book from Audible. They have more than 45,000 books to choose from on almost any subject that you can imagine. All of us here at twip are big fans of audible and we're long before they decided to give us the sponsorship and each week we try to help you figure out what you might do if you're going to go sign up for that free book with your pick and we're bringing in our special this week in photography producer aaron mailer to give you some advice aaron what is your pick of the week Uh, The pick I tossed in for us this week is uh, Bill Bryson's excellent book, A Walk in the Woods. Uh, Bill is a fantastic author, um, incredibly funny, uh, very insightful. And uh, I just thought the book was kind of timely, too. I mean, we're getting into the late spring and summer. Uh, A lot of people involved with TWIP are uh, certainly nature photographers. And uh, the basis of this book is uh, it's subtitled uh, Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, it's his journey across the Appalachian Trail. And, and as I said before, it has got some absolutely laugh-out-loud parts in it. Um, but uh, he talks about his uh, <laughs> his mistakes and his successes in the, in the serious challenge of uh, walking the Appalachian Trail. And I think a lot of people, particularly nature photographers, would really get a kick out of it. And uh, one particular segment I'll mention in the book that uh, was fascinating to me, I'd never heard of it prior to reading it, is all about a, a part of the trail that crosses through an area called Centralia, Pennsylvania, which um, some... Decades ago, I believe, um, let's see, 1981, I think, may be the case. No, actually, earlier than that, 46 years ago, um, they uh, had a coal seam in the ground catch fire, and the the entire town has essentially been burning underground, uh, creating little cave-ins and and so on. And uh, for the most part, the town has been completely deserted, is walled off, and is guarded to some extent uh, to keep people out of it because it's a pretty dangerous situation. But uh, just the thought of this entire town here literally on fire for decades underneath the ground causing sinkholes and depressions and all, um, he he covers that area along the walk and really kind of gets into the history of it. And it's a pretty fascinating portion of the book. Well, you can use your free pick on that particular book, 
by Bill Bryson, B-R-Y-S-O-N, or any other of the 45,000 available at Audible. And all you have to do to do that is log on to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP to get your free book. This is a special deal we've made just for TWIP listeners, and we thank Audible for their continued support. Now it's time for the questions, and I got a new plan. We're going to break from tradition, guys. Rather than having all of us jump in randomly on the questions, I'm going to toss each question to the person I think who is best able to answer it. That way, everybody will get a chance to answer a question. Every question will get answered, and we won't have to spend time covering the same thing twice. And I'm going to. I should have studied. Well, you know what? You have the easiest question of the bunch of us. So Uh, you you know, excellent because it was directed at you. One of our listeners, Chuck Smith, wrote a few weeks ago on the show. There was talk of a slide negative scanning service. It was a service that was overseas and posted the results online. You only paid for what you kept. Does anybody remember the site? I happen to know Ron Brinkman does. I do remember it indeed. Yeah, this is, I mean, for, for those of you who want the sort of real detailed uh, discussion of it, it, there's a blog post on it. But um, the company is called Scan Cafe. And, you know, I, uh, I made the plunge. I literally boxed up all my old negatives, all my old negatives, and took that leap of faith and sent it off. Uh, you send it to San Francisco and they sort of, uh, go through everything there, and then they actually send it off to India for scanning. But um, there was no problems. It, it took you know it took a couple months for it to get scanned, but there were several thousand uh, negatives that were in there, and the the results were great. They use a very high end Nikon scanner for it, um, you know, high resolution stuff. They put it all online in uh, you know smaller thumbnails, so you can kind of go through and say, I don't like this picture. This is obviously just you know completely blown out or, or a black frame. And uh, you don't pay for those. So you end up paying is 19 cents a negative, you know, 19 cents a frame, which is really pretty cheap, especially when you figure that you're, uh, you're only paying for the ones that you want to keep. Uh, you can throw away up to half of them. And uh, I, I totally recommend it. You know, it's, it's just I'm, I'm still going through them, uh, you know, running through looking at old photos from years and years ago. And I'm getting so much, you know, enjoyment out of them. Far more than I was getting when they were just sitting in a drawer. So scancafe.com, I, I totally recommend that. Told you that was going to be easy. Ron, do yeah. they do prints as well? I think they do prints. Uh, I think the price is a little bit different. They do um, uh, the scan black and white negatives. The price is a, a bit more for those as well. And I think they just launched a full restoration service too. So if you've got uh, you know something some badly damaged prints or negatives that you wanted to have somebody with a little bit more Photoshop skills go through and do a restoration on it. They'll do that as well. Next question is for Fred, who's, who's, who's oogling my cannon right now. Um, Fondling. This, uh, this is a, a question I believe you'll have an opinion on, Fred. Uh, how do you care for your DSLR lenses? It's from Ian Nelson. He wants to know how dustproof, water-resistant these lenses are. Would you shoot in a light rain and be comfortable? Yes, and I have shot in torrential rain with, uh, with DS- DSLR lenses. Um, so how do I store my lenses? I was thinking, I was thinking about that, and... Um, you know, the main way that I, you know, I'm, I'm not a lens babier person. I'm more of a, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I'm going to use the gear like it's meant to be used and that I'll care for it with a lens cap and the back cap when they're, when they're in my camera bag. But by and large, all of my lenses live in their little compartments in my camera bag. I don't have a gigantic cadre of lenses like, say, a, uh, I don't know, Scott Bourne <laughs> might have. But, uh, you know, I, I tend to have just a select few across the different focal lengths. But, yeah. 
yeah, I just, you know, I clean them from time to time. I blow them out with air. I keep the back cap and the front cap on when they're not on the body. When they are on the body, the lens cap is on there. And when I shoot in the rain or when I shoot in inclement conditions, um, just you know, if unless it's like really bad, if it's a light mist, I don't care. I'll like cup the front of my my lens with my hand and shoot away um you know maybe i'll have a lens cat or a uh, a filter on there or a skylight or something to protect it but nothing nothing you know over and beyond my philosophy is yeah it's it's expensive it's glass but you know if you have to baby it at the expense of missing the shot then you know what's the what's the point you know we talked about in the last show i think you know the concept of using baggies or shower caps or whatever to protect the body i think it's always a good idea to stick one of those in your bag just in case but you know i try not to overly baby any of my tech gear in fact my computers my phones everything they get normal wear and tear and hopefully they last till the next revision comes out yeah he wouldn't baby his hammer either so <laughs> can i can i add something on on that one sure steve yeah i noticed i was at bnh the other day and they have this really cool thing i'll have to find out we'll post it but it's kind of an umbrella that goes into your um uh, camera's tripod socket oh yeah and so you can shoot with have this umbrella kind of covering you up, which I thought was kind of a good idea. But uh, when I saw this question from Ian Nelson, I, I actually made a phone call to the guy who's a manager at Phototech, which is a big sort of camera repair guy. And I asked him a couple of questions because you know, it was very interesting that he brought this up. And basically, you know, he said that, uh, you know, if you're going to store stuff for like a, a prolonged period of time, all the old rules apply. You know, uh, silica gel that absorbs moisture is a good idea. Um, and he said because digital cameras somehow attract dust and dust can get into all these places, if you're going to not use it for a long time, you know, put it, put it in a plastic bag if you're not going to use it for whatever reason. I don't know why you wouldn't. Our yeah. listeners are all using their, their, their uh, stuff all the time. And the other question I asked him, which I thought would be interesting for our listenership, and that is, you know, in the old days of film cameras versus today, um, is there more repairs today than, than in the film days? Uh, what do you guys think? I don't know. Yeah. He said now there is, and the reason he cited is not really a quality issue. It's just that with digital photography, people are using their cameras a lot more than they used to with film. Makes just sense. Because it doesn't cost any money. And he said there's, there's no, you know, wear and tear is wear and tear. So if you have a, 100,000 activations and you have 10,000 activations, chances are you're going to run into some trouble by, by using it more. There's an engineering spec called MTBF, mean time between failure for almost everything man-made. So things do break. Let's move on to the next question because I want to make sure we get everything done on time here. We're going to break our record and actually answer four full questions. Three was our previous record except for the Q&A show which is pity full um i'm going to ask you to answer this one steve um michael rubin writes that he normally shoots in program mode or aperture priority mode on his digital rebel i'll be the same on the, the nikon uh he saw a tip from somebody that said he should keep his exposure a third of the stop below normal to preserve more saturation and, and avoid blowing out the highlights and uh wants to know if we recommend that what do you recommend steve well, I guess, I guess, you know, that was my thinking initially when I first picked up a digital camera. People said you got to sort of, if you shot slides in the film days, uh, then you, you want it better to underexpose and not blow out any highlights. 
But from what we've learned, and now with, with tools like Aperture, which is what I use, it's incredible how much highlight uh, you can recover in the software program and that the sensor actually picks up. So I think, and you guys can correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, but the, 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 the thinking now is to expose for the highlights. That is, you know, make sure you don't blow them out, but it's better to kind of have a little bit of overexposure that can be recovered in the, the highlights uh, in, in programs like Aperture and, and Lightroom, um, and rather than um, underexpose a little where when you bring up the shadows, you, you, you definitely have uh, a kind of an uglier kind of noise problem or more of a, a noise problem in the shadows. Yeah, I think that's it's the, it's the trade-off. You, know, there's, you can't really have a total rule of thumb because uh, you know, if you overexpose something, you, your highlights blow out and you can't get it back even you know, if it does go beyond the limits of raw. But if you're underexposing something then your shadows go to basically just grain. And if you know you're going to want to pull some detail out of those shadows, you may want to push it one direction or the other. So you can't really give a rule of thumb. You've got to look at, look at the scene you're shooting and kind of decide. And if there's no dark shadows in there that you're, you're worried about losing, then you can, you, don't, you, know, you can definitely stop down then. And the final question is, in the last episode, Scott mentioned that everyone should at the very least have a polarizing filter. Can you please explain what a polarizing filter does? Well, I'll take that question since I think it's sort of directed at me. And by the way, that's from Matt in Orlando. Matt, a polarizing filter basically does a couple of things. It'll remove reflections, which is the primary thing that it does. That's actually the main thing that it does. It removes reflections. That is the actual activity going on with a polarizer. The symptom of that is you'll see bluer skies. You'll see darker skies. You'll see reflections go away in water. You'll see more detail in color because what's going on is the colors appear to be more saturated simply because you're removing that haze that comes from the glare of all the sunlight that bounces off of them. Uh, A couple of things to keep in mind. Number one, polarizers only work at certain angles. To find out if they work at the angle you're standing at, simply put them on your camera and rotate them in front of the lens as you look through the viewfinder and you'll see if it's working. Also remember that you're going to lose some light a good polarizer will knock you down a stop and a half or so. So if you're in a situation where shutter speed is critical and you throw a polarizer on there, remember you're going to lose a little bit of shutter speed. If you're working off a tripod, it's not a big deal. You probably don't need a polarizer, for instance, if you're doing portraits or people shots, but if you're doing nature shots, uh, outdoor photography, you, you know, fall foliage, anything involving water, glass, or steel, a polarizer is very effective tool to have. So that's my answer to the question. Question, and uh, anybody disagree with me? No, I, you know they're a lot more effective on sunny days when the sun's rays, which are sort of naturally polarized, are not being scattered. On really overcast days, you're not going to see a polarizer do nearly as much. No, and if you're dealing with glass, uh, I think it's often better to be as much on a 45 degree angle as you can to to maximize the effect the polarizer is going to have. That is correct. Now, Scott, I had, I had a quick question for you since you are nature ex- nature photographer extraordinary. So. With filters and digital photography and using that sort of, you know, intermediary, intermediary between the light and the sensor, knowing that you're going to incorporate or bring that image into some digital processing software on the back end, what, what filters would you recommend using and which ones would you recommend not using in the digital photography world? Well, my bag sits right up here, Fred. Mm-hmm. And in that bag, there is only one filter. It's a polarizer. I don't carry any other filters with me because 
I can generally do almost anything else any of the other filters can do in post. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't really see the need to carry them around. They're bulky, they're they're glass, they're fragile, they can break, and they also give you opportunities to induce flare. There's there's a million things that can happen as a result of adding something to the lens. However, it's very tough, and in my experience, without spending the kind of money they might spend to make Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's impossible to remove reflections from something. That's that's a thing that you can't do in post. You can simulate it by painting over it, or but, but you can't actually cut out a reflection. And that's not the reason I use a polarizer in the field, is that's, that's something I can do in real time. All the other stuff, like I wish it was warmer or cooler, or I want a grad, or I want this, I can do uh, you know in post. In fact, just yesterday got the new Tiffin uh, FX plug-in, mm-hmm. you know, that does virtually everything any Tiffin filter ever did. You can use it with Photoshop or Aperture or Standalone. We'll be reviewing it later. My gosh. I mean, I just, I'm so thrilled that I don't own $30,000 worth of polarizer because that's about, I mean, $30,000 worth of filters because that's about what's in the bag. But we should probably save that for a whole other show. Brilliant. Cool. I would like to say um, that um, next week, we are going to do this again in the way of Q&A. We're going to make a commitment to once every four weeks, nothing but questions and answers, because we just get so very few done. I'm very proud of us for getting four questions answered on this show. But next week, it's no guest. It's just Q&A. So send your questions in, and we will get to as many of them as we can. We're going to do that every four weeks, and we got a lot of positive feedback off the last one. So we're going to keep doing that. So you guys come with your brains particularly sharp, because we're going to test you. We're going to test We're going to dive deep into your photographic knowledge. Um, Coming up in between weeks, well, we will probably be posting a video that I did, which is an introduction to studio lighting. And we hope that you find that interesting. You can find that in a TWIP photo blog and probably find that in the feed, although we haven't decided yet. And uh, now it's time for the tip of the week. I don't hear anybody jumping up to take it. So I'll take it. Crickets. <laughs> Nothing but crickets. It's a cricket sound effect. <laughs> Did you see the fear on my face? <laughs> no, because you're on Skype. But this is that's, radio. Okay. never fear, I've got one. And I actually will take one that I put on the blog the other day. Um, how many of you in the audience use a tripod? Raise your hand. I'll pretend that I can see most of you in the audience raising your hand because most of you should be using a tripod. Um, my guess is most of you have photographs that uh, are taken at a height of 5 feet 8 inches. How do I know that? Because that's the height of the standard tripod. And I'm here to tell you my tip, which is tripods have legs which go up and down. It is possible, actually, to take a photograph from a height different than 5 foot 8 if you're using a tripod, or for that matter, even if you're not. We want to look at camera angle as this week's tip. You need to think about shooting at eye level if you're shooting people or wildlife or Almost anything, shooting at subject level, brings a lot closer communication between the viewer and the photographer and the photograph. Shooting at eye level has big impact. Now, there are times when you want to shoot down on something. There are times you want to shoot up on something. For instance, if you have something small and you want to make it seem big, you shoot up on it. If you have something large like me and you want to make it seem smaller, you shoot down on it. But for the most part, you'll really find, particularly when you're... I looked at our wildlife pictures that came in on our animal challenge. A lot of people were shooting down on you know their pets they were shooting down towards the ground where their pet was if they'd have simply gotten down and sat down at pet level and shot that photograph at eye level it would have been far more compelling so that's this week's tip shoot 
at subject level and see what that does. Now, I realize this may mean you actually have to get down on your knees or sit down on your butt. may mean you have to actually lower the legs on your tripod or raise them, but that won't kill you. Trust me. Give it a try. Let us know what you think. That's this week's tip on This Week in Photography. And uh, we're trying to keep the show to an hour. We've done that this week, I'm, I'm happy to say. I do want to suggest that you visit our blog at twipphoto.com. Dot com. If you'd like more information, be also sure to join the Flickr groups, get involved with everything we're doing. And I want to say thanks to all of our guests, Ron Brinkman in Hermosa Beach. Where can people find you when they're not listening to you on TWIP? You can find me on Twitter, Ron Brinkman, B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N, or digitalcomposting.com. I love it. Everybody's all about the Twitter now. Steve Simon yeah. in New York. Where would you like people to find you? Uh, well, I, I do that blog, Inside Aperture, uh, for Aperture users or people that are curious about it. And my website, which is badly due for a kind of uh, reconfiguration, which I hope to do soon, stevesimonphoto.com. All righty then. And uh, how about you, Fred? Well, I'm you know on that Twitter bandwagon as well, so they can find me at F V Johnson on the Twitter network, or uh, on my blog. I post there from time to time at FrederickVan.com, and of course at Adobe for Lightroom for at Adobe.com slash Lightroom. All righty then. Well, I'm also on the Twitter, Scott Bourne, S-C-O-T-T-B-O-U-R-N-E. Feel free to follow me if you'd like, although I can't imagine why you'd want to. Uh, Also, be sure to catch me uh, next Saturday, the 31st, at MacDLA if you're there. Or you can also always find me at twipphoto.com or on my stock photography site at avianstock.com. Alex isn't here, but if you want to find out what he's up to, the best place to do that is run over to pixelcore.tv or pixelcore.com. Everybody, thanks so much for being part of the show. Thanks to Aaron Mailer, our producer. Thanks to Akeem for sitting in for Greg Martin, who usually is our engineer, or for Joe Lindsay, who's usually our engineer when we're over at the Pixelcore. And uh, thank you for listening. That's it for this week's show, so time to put the lens cap right back on. 